Hello, Saubona, how's it, Molo, Jumbo, and welcome to the Every Nation podcast. We hope this message will inspire you and draw you closer to Christ. Enjoy. Good morning, everybody. How are you doing? I know me a pillow, yeah, bong. Just. A little something for the guys online, just want to add to your little conversation. I want to quote Steve Morrow. He said, God made a few perfect heads and the rest he covered with hair. <laughs> for everybody that's in the room, everybody online was going on about Noltandon's uh, Afro, like, oh, the Afro gang and all of that. Well, this is the bold gang. <laughs> Yes, yes, thank you. That's why God just uncovered the head so everybody can see it. I <laughs> uh, hope you're all good this morning. Uh, we've been having such a great time over the past couple of weeks. We've um, celebrated Passover, and uh, it's been an awesome moment of just honoring the sacrifice that Jesus made and, uh, and, the, and just remembering the gospel and what, is, what it is truly about. It is about the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the earth. And we're starting a new series this, this week. It's called The Gospel. It's going to be a three-part series. Uh, we're just going to go back to the gospel and talk about the gospel. And in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14, uh, Paul says, If Christ is not re- resurrected, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is useless. If Jesus is not raised from the dead, then this is all for nothing. It's a hobby, and I'm here as a, as a part-time uh, stand-up comedian and part-time motivational speaker just to get you going for till next week. But that's not true. <laughs> so we're going to press into the gospel. We're going to talk about the gospel. Today we're going to start off with the fact that the gospel is the good news. But before we get going, let us just redefine what the gospel is. Uh, just like when... Uh, the. Uh, when was it last? This yesterday, when I was driving driving back from home, I just like uh, there's a song that came in in my in my playlist shuffle from the Soweto Gospel Choir, and it is a, a struggle song, and it goes on about is pam salaba fana kumbuzu robet sebukwe. Gospel, it's guns. Gospel guns. <laughs> gospel struggles and fighting but the word gospel has sometimes been degenerated to just a genre of music that sometimes even the songs you just sit and you like listen and you're like there's no gospel in here. When someone is busy singing about, you're going to regret it when you get to heaven one day. You're going to regret it. It will be too bad for you. Oh, sorry for you. Oh, shame. Oh, shame. Oh, shame. Yeah. <laughs> that is not good news. I don't know about you. If that's how you evangelize, great, but that's not good news. So I just wanted, before we go further, to kick off by, re- about, by defining what the gospel is. And Rice Brooks has a great definition of what the gospel is, and we're going to learn it, and we're going to practice it. So I'm going to read it, and then we're, going to, and then we're all going to read it, and then we're just going to share it with our neighbor. So it says, the gospel is the good news that God became man in Jesus Christ. He lived the life that we should have lived, and he died the death that we should have died 
inner place. Three days later, he rose from the dead, proving that he is the Son of God and offering the gift of salvation to those who repent and believe in him. All right? Cool. Now let's read it all together. One, two, three, go. The Let's do it again with a little bit more animation and a, you know, dynamics flow, you know, just like how the worship team does. Sing high, sing low, sing in between. Okay. <laughs> Let's go. The Now take that away. Yes. Go to the other thing. Not, we don't want to see that. There we go. Now turn to your neighbor. Take turns sharing what the gospel is. Okay, okay, save them, save them, put it up, put it up. (laughs) I see a few high fives, I see a few (laughs) moments. The gospel is the good news. The gospel is the good news. Now, let's take a moment and imagine the last time you heard good news. The last time you, ha- you heard that the meeting was canceled. The last time someone said, hey, may I have your bank account number? The last time somebody said, don't worry about it, I'll pay for it. The last time someone said, the last time you woke up and the weather report was like, it's sunny all day. You know, there's that feeling that you get when you hear good news, right? It's a warm, fuzzy feeling that, you know, you get excited. It's good news. It makes you happy. You can't help but to naturally smile. Even if you're a stoic person, there's that inside thing of you that goes, oh my goodness, that's so good, you know? So there's many versions that we hear, times that we hear good news and we react differently to hearing good news. But when we hear the gospel, do we react in that way? Do you feel like it is the good news? So I just want to talk about that because it is the good news. 
uh, our scripture today comes from Matthew 11, from verse 1 to 6. Um, if you can open your Bible, but it's going to come up on your screen. It says, Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. And when, and when John heard... Uh, oh, wait. And when John heard in prison about the work of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said, and said to him, are you, the, are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to him, go and tell John that the, uh, the things which you heard and see, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up and the poor have have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Now, who is John? Like, this is not John the disciple they're talking about. This is John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. When Mary, when Mary was pregnant with Jesus, he went to go visit Elizabeth, John's mother, and John, inside of his mother's womb, leapt up. And was like, hey, it's Jesus. You hear it? Oh my goodness. <laughs> so that's John. And John was so committed to, to, to serving God that he left his home, went into the wilderness, started preaching about baptism and repentance. He's so serious that he even forsook his clothes. I don't know why that he wore camel's, clothes, camel's hair. That one I'd really, like, when, he, when we get to heaven, I just want to find out why. <laughs> that he moved and he went and he, he put on camel's hair. He wouldn't eat, he only ate honey and locusts, and he was in the wilderness. As a sign, I don't know, maybe it's a sign of, of, of protest or rebellion or something, that, that against the, 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 the religious uh, institute of the time, John baptized Jesus. John experienced the, whole, the heavens opening the dove falling upon Jesus and the Holy Spirit falling upon Jesus in the form of a dove and descending. And he heard the voice of God saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. So I don't know if you can ever find someone who is more committed to serving God and has experienced more things than John. Jesus even said, um, they, they, in the kingdom of heaven, there was no one greater than John the Baptist. That's who John is. That's the, the life that John, that's what John experienced. That, that's the journey that John has walked with God. Now, when John gets arrested, um, he then has a crisis of faith. And then he asks this heartbreaking question, and he says, are you the one to come, or should we look for another? Are you it? The same guy who, who was in his mother's womb recognized that Jesus is it. Now he's beginning to question, are you the one that is to come? There's this saying that says, there's a, the gap between expectation and reality is called disappointment. <laughs> Clearly, there's an expectation that John had about Jesus. He expected Jesus to be somebody. He expected Jesus to do something. And then he's now living in a reality where his expectations are not met. And then he gets disappointed, and then he ultimately has to go look for another. A couple of weeks ago, I was just watching YouTube, 
and I just came across this video of this guy who's talking about um, he had a bad experience with Isangoma and all of that. I was like, this is a weird story. And it was very vague. And when he starts to tell his story, the main, he starts it off by saying, so his issues with this Sangoma started when, he, when his girlfriend at the time, who was a church-going woman, decided to go see that Sangoma. And it's like, why is a church-going woman going to see a Sangoma? There's clearly a gap there. There's clearly something that's wrong there. There's clearly a point of disappointment with the gospel or disappointment with God that leads her to go look for another. That she goes and she goes off to look for an alternative. I also like two weeks back, I saw a headline from my new electricity minister that was saying, regardless of how much we pray, load shedding will not be stopped by the act of God. Okay. I don't understand what he meant. I don't understand the context of what he was saying. But I, there's this underlining tone that I kind of get from this, message, from this headline that says certain things God's not interested in. Certain things God can't solve. Certain things we, we just like... There's certain things where we're like, ah, God, leave it here. Let me, let it, I'll take care of this one. God, you, you, you can have certain things. When we live like that, then we lose the, God, the goodness of the gospel. When in our mind, there's this, there's this dichotomy of this is good, this is what God is, this is goodness, but there's other things that I, I need to work on that should be better, that will bring my life to a certain point that will progress my life. Paul even says it in 1 Corinthians uh, 1, 22. He says, for the Jews request a sign and the Greek seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified for the Jews a stumbling block and for the Greek foolishness. We preach Christ crucified. We preach the gospel. For some people, they're always looking for a sign. They're looking for a miracle. They're looking for this you know, something that will just poof, happen now quickly, and then things change. Some people is constantly looking for wisdom, something that will make my mind go, wow. I'm not, don't get me wrong, I'm not hating on your favorite Instagram pasta or, 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 or YouTube sensation, but when we become enamored with miracles, signs, and wonders, when we become enamored by a person's eloquence and their demeanor and the light and the, and, and the glitz and glam, we, the, we, the gospel loses its power and it loses its goodness. I heard a story about a woman who moved churches and would travel like from up north, ne? somewhere close to the Utugela, ne? up north every Sunday to come to church here in Durban. She left her church up north because there's in this church here in Durban, the pastor does miracles and she needs that miracle. She needed a breakthrough. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is the power of God. But do we live like it? 
or do we look for others? Do we treat the gospel as God's ultimate answer or do we treat the gospel as an insurance policy? Have you ever received those annoying phone calls from insurance companies? My goodness, I wish they could stop. If you're watching, please stop. (laughs) You know, this other one was trying to sell me life insurance or, I know, death and disability finance gap covers. A lot of covers, okay. <laughs> so he's like, and then he tells, we're having this conversation, and then he ends up saying, yeah, I can understand you're a very healthy young man, but uh, you never know in life, there might be an accident, you might just lose your ability to work, you might not, I'm a pastor, I kind of need my mouth and my brain. <laughs> you might lose your ability to work, you might not be able to do certain things, and you need this cover. Like, that's not good news. That doesn't make me smile. The fact that I have car insurance does not make me smile. I'm not happy that I have car insurance. Every time, every month, there's this debit order that goes clink, clink, and they, res- and they send me this message with a smiley face, thank you for making this payment. I'm not happy. It's not good news. I'm only happy that one time when I, have to, and I run into an accident and I have to call them a million times to, to make a claim. And they have to make a million excuses not to pay this claim. Afterwards, you're like, ooh, wish at least I had insurance. Sometimes we approach the gospel like that. That ish, one day when you die, ne, you might be okay now. It might be fine, but when you die, you're gonna need this gospel. I'm telling you, it's gonna be good. It might not taste, taste like it right now, but one day it's gonna be good. We, we might be sitting here and thinking, ah, I'm ah, ah, small. You know me, I'm in church. You know, like, yeah, I believe the gospel. Jesus is the answer. I don't care what the question is, but Jesus is the answer. The last time someone had a problem and they came to you, did you give them a gospel-centered answer? Did you give them gospel-centered counsel? Did you give them gospel-centered encouragement? The last time you had a problem, or even the problem that you're facing right now, do you see the goodness of the gospel in it? Are you seeing God's goodness regardless of whatever's happening, regardless of how hard it is? Are you seeing that goodness? We can confess and say that God is good, that the gospel is good, but our reality might not feel like it and then therefore there's this gap where we don't know what to do because we're holding these two, false, these two dichotomy, dichotomies that are pulling at each other. Reality says, but I believe and faith says. When we let the tension pull too far, when we let the tension stay there for long enough, we end up looking for alternatives. Like, God, I think, I think God needs help. Yeah, I, you, I don't have a husband. He promised a husband. I don't have a wife. God says he'll grant me the desires of my heart, but the desires of my heart are not met, so let me try and, you know, put in something to fill this gap. Financially, I'm struggling. 
everybody who's in business is corrupt and they're, you know, bribing for tenders and they're doing all sorts of things. And let me try and cover this thing up. And then the tender comes through. God is good with my assistance. Do we live like the gospel is the good news? When someone comes to you and says, I just lost my job. Do you feel like saying, John 3, 16, so God so loved the earth that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believe in him might not perish. You know, we're chuckling because it just feels so insensitive. It's like, Ish. But the gospel speaks into all of those things. The gospel speaks into everything. It, they, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God looked at all the problems that we have. God looked at load shedding, corruption, death, murder, GBV, all the problems that we have in this earth, all of them, the ones that you know now, the ones that you haven't seen, war, death, famine, cholera, COVID, AIDS, HIV, TB, slow internet, dial-up internet, TikTok, annoying person, YouTube ads, all of that. He looked at all of that and was like, here's my gift to you. His one and only begotten son. That's God's answer. There is no other. If you are looking for another, you will not find. There is no other solution. In Hebrews, it says, if we walk away from this, from this problem, I'm paraphrasing, if we walk away from this uh, sacrifice that God has gladly given, there is no hope for us. There's no other hope. There's no other hope. So there's this tension of reality and what we believe. I want to share with you something briefly. I really don't like night vigils, but I'm going to share that the reason why a little bit later. You know why the, reason the gospel is the ultimate answer? Is because it deals with the problem at its source. It deals with the core essential problem that we all have, and that is sin and its effects and the brokenness, therefore, that comes from sin. It deals with the sin of the government. It deals with the sin of the private sector. It deals with the sin of your neighbor. It deals with the sin that is in here. The sin that causes you to think that you cannot find a way to get out of poverty. The sin that causes you to think that you are who you are, your life will never change. The sin that causes you to think that God's favor is not upon you, that you are not able to break free from this mental, mental bondage that's held you bound. The brokenness that helps you, that keeps you shackled in chains. The brokenness that makes you think that you can't start a business. The brokenness that makes you think that you have to look out for number one. No one else will look out for you. That God's not interested in your things. That is sin. And the gospel deals with that right there at its core, at its base. Now, the reason why I hate night vigils, they are multiple. First, you have to stay up all night. Second reason is because 
Um, just for those who don't understand, right, in, in, in the black South African culture, when there's a funeral, the night before, we stay up all night praying and worshiping and doing all sorts of things before the funeral in the, in the morning. So one of the reasons I hate night vigils is because people sing the same song so many times that it loses its meaning. Walk in the light of God suddenly beco- becomes, we'll kill the line, we'll kill the line, we'll kill the line of God. Why are we still singing this? And there's always like a few drunk people that sit at the back, ne? They're the ones who are always responsible for looping the song. The song's about to end, and then he stands up, whoa! <laughs> like, what you do? <laughs> and then, every time, there's always going to be an altar call, and there's always going to be a drunk person who's going to put away whatever he was drinking, stumbles to the front, and then he asks for prayer, and then he gets prayed for. Then he goes back to his seat. There's something there that happens is that clearly this person has a problem. Clearly there's an issue. So then he comes forward because he believes that God can solve his problem, can solve his issue, that his problems are beyond himself. He needs someone to come save him from his situation. And then... He prays a prayer and then he walks away back to his problems and situation. He has not experienced the goodness of God. He's just received a belief, you know, like Peter Pan. Believe and Wendy will fly. Believe, not Wendy. Tinkerbell will live. Believe, believe. The gospel changes us. The gospel is God's ultimate miracle. The gospel transforms your life. If you don't, if you don't encounter the, life, the life-changing power of the gospel, then you have not encountered the gospel. If your life has not been changed somehow by encountering this gospel, then you have not encountered it. When we teach people that, no, go on in living in whatever problem that you have and not trusting God for change, we are teaching them that, God is good, just only believe it but never experience it. When we experience things, when we only believe certain things and we don't really experience it, it's very hard for us to share it. It's very hard for us to speak about it. You know, this other, a couple of months ago, two months ago, Asipe was, we were teaching the students and we were teaching them how to share the gospel and she was talking about um, just the contrast between her favorite news found sunscreen that she really likes. I'm sure the guys by then were like, sunscreen? What sunscreen? Do you need sunscreen? For who? For what? <laughs> and then she's like, oh, it's really great. It, you know, she likes it and she says she can't stop talking about it. Why? Because it has instant benefit. She puts it on and it does the things, eh? It does the things. Do we, when we put on the gospel, do we see it doing the things? Do we see it doing the things? The truth is, yes, the gospel does the things, but are you seeing it? Are you able to see God working in the middle of that circumstance? Or do you allow God to work in those circumstances? Because when we see God's goodness in the middle of our pain and our trial, then we can't help but to testify of his goodness. When we see God providing in the worst situation possible, 
God helping you in the worst situation possible, then we can't help but to testify of his goodness. But if we only see the problems and all the issues and all that's, not, that's wrong, but in our heads hold this notion somewhere that God is good, then we will not be able to share this gospel with anybody. When somebody comes to you and they tell you about their financial problems, the first thing you'll be like, okay, let's look at your budget. Um, uh, what, what costs can you cut? Or like, where can we get you income? Where can you, where can we, you know, you might solve the practical issue, but there's still another issue which is a faith issue and a belief issue and a re- relationship with God issue that we need to address. So we need to be able to see the goodness of the gospel in the middle of any circumstance. There's this uh, line from a song that, you know, I don't know, just keeps ringing in my head, and um, I, it, I came across it when I was having the worst time of my five years, worst time in five years. And I came across this line from a song. It says, God does not waste pain on his children. The gospel gives our pain purpose. If the gospel is not there, then all the suffering we face is for nothing. Then God is cruel, sadistic, and downright evil. Because the gospel says Christ came, God himself took on the form of a man, joined us in the problems that we're facing, suffered the way we are suffering, endured every trial and temptation that you and I endured, and then he died on the cross so that we may have hope, so that we may be reconnected to God, so that we may have a reconciliation to the source, so that our relationship with God may come to this fullness and to this wholeness and to this wellness. The gospel is the guarantee of God's goodness in each and every one of our lives. This is scripture. Uh, I can't find it. In Romans 8, Paul says, if God did not spare his only, if God did not spare his only son, but gave, it to, gave him to us, how much, how much more will he give to each and every one of us? God, the gospel is God saying, look, this is how much I can give you. This is how much I, can, I love you. Do you see it in the middle of your pain? Do you see the love of God? Do you see the favor of God upon your life? In closing, I just want to read this. I want to tell you a story, and then I'm going to read the scripture. Like uh, every single one of us right now, like when you look, can you see your eyelashes? Okay. Right. Most of us can't see them. So, I have... According to my sister, very long eyelashes. She's very jealous that I have bigger eyes than she has and I have longer eyelashes than she does. And then when we were children, she tried to cut off my eyelashes because she thought they were going to blind me. So she chased me around with a scissor. Sit down. (laughs) So when I look, I can see like little curly little things 
like at the, the top, the, the, like they're kind of like my eyelashes. I can see them a little bit. Now, when I was a kid, I would used to be like, what is that? And I spent forever trying to figure out what. <laughs> and, you know, God reminded me of us this week, and I did it again. I'm like, I tell you now, in, fifth, like, it take, in less than 30 seconds of me trying to look and find these eyelashes that are just there, but I can't really see them, there's this something that, de- that develop inside of me, this nausea and this, you know, dis- dis- disassociation that happens because my eyes can't focus properly. I can't see, but there's something there, but I can't really see it. So over the years, I've like learned, ah, it's part of life. My, my vision has curls on top of it. There's just this foggy, there's fogginess on top. It's fine. That's how I see. For me to see properly, I just have to look past my eyelashes. Like, beautiful day, suns are shining, everything, eyelashes, tiny little things. They don't even bother me. Why am I saying this? It's because we all have these things in our lives that are there, that have happened, that are happening, that will happen. We can't deny them. We can never wish them away or do anything to them. They're there. The pain, the loss, the grief, the misery, all of it, the disappointment, it's there. But the the question is, are you going to focus on them and get nauseous and and disorientated, or are you going to choose to look past them and see God's goodness in the middle of of your problems? We gotta look past it. See God in the middle of the problem. See God in the middle of the loss. See God carrying you through, carrying you through grief. See God providing for you, even if you expected a, a three-course meal and you just, you just get a, toasted, a, a toast of bread. That you, go to bed, that you go to bed full, that you're, somehow you're making it through the end of the month. Are you choosing to see the goodness of God? Are you choosing to see the issue? Oh, but I, you know, if I had more fuel, I could probably see my friends. You know, if I had more, are you going to magnify the issue? Are you going to see God's goodness? Second Corinthians 4, 16 to 17 says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outward selves is wasting away, our inward self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Are the things that you are facing defining your existence and defining the way you see God? Or are you choosing to see them as this light and momentary affliction that is working in you a greater weight of glory. When we, try, when we focus on God and when we choose to see God in any circumstance and see his goodness, we are training ourselves in something. It's called faith. It's called endurance. It's called trust. And the more we live in those, in those things, the more we are transformed. The more our understanding of God is transformed the more of our understanding of this gospel is transformed, the more we live in the goodness of this gospel. We need to make an effort all the time, every moment, to see the goodness of this gospel. 
Because if we don't, it will be very hard to share it. First rule of marketing, believe in your product. Let us choose to see God's goodness. Can we all stand? Thank you for tuning in. For more messages like these and other resources, you can visit our website at endurban.org. Remember to subscribe to our podcast channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Be blessed.